0: This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the governor says vaccines for the coronavirus should arrive in Florida in three to six weeks.
1: By the end of December, pending FDA approval, there will be roughly 40 million doses of these two vaccines available, 25 million for Pfizer and 15 million for Moderna. Each individual requires two doses, So that would mean there would be enough vaccine for 20 million Americans uh, by the end of December.
0: The governor made that announcement in a video posted on YouTube so he wouldn't have to answer any questions from those pesky reporters. And my, the questions are piling up. The state reported more than 9,000 new cases of coronavirus Thursday and 81 additional fatalities. Our death toll is now more than 18,000. The COVID crisis has forced us to come up with new ways to get things done. State officials say video conferencing is what makes it all possible.
2: Communities need to encourage communication companies to actually make connectivity a basic right. I think we all need connectivity moving forward in this new era of telehealth.
3: I mean, the system would have stopped moving if we weren't able to do things by video. And so we are hoping uh, very much that we're able to keep this going.
0: It took years for Florida lawmakers and the medical establishment to accept the concept of telehealth, but it's worked so well during the pandemic that it will be with us even after the virus is under control. The COVID crisis has cost billions of dollars and thousands of jobs at Florida ports. Uh,
4: Unfortunately, our estimates are showing that uh, nearly 169,000 jobs, uh, port and port-related jobs, uh, and almost $23 billion in general economic activity uh, will be lost in the state. Um, through 2020.
0: The people who run the ports haven't received any funding from the feds to help during the crisis, but they have high hopes once the new Congress and the president are sworn in. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the story of a Florida woman who found a decapitated body while cleaning up a beach near Pensacola. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, November 20th. It was on this date in 1817 that the First Seminole War began in Florida. U.S. troops under the command of General Andrew Jackson tried to recapture runaway slaves living among the Seminoles. They invaded North Florida, which was a Spanish territory. Scattered villagers burned their towns. U.S. soldiers occupied Pensacola and St. Mark's, and Spain was forced to give up Florida two years after the start of the war. And happy anniversary today to Queen Elizabeth and Lord Mountbatten, who were married on this date in 1947. The resurgence of COVID continues in Florida as the state health department reports 81 more fatalities. The official death toll is now 18,030. There were more than 9,000 newly confirmed cases Thursday. The statewide total is more than 914,000. That's one out of every 23 people in the state who have been infected. You cannot get a COVID vaccination yet, but that didn't stop Governor Ron DeSantis from teasing it. The governor's press office posted a video of Ron DeSantis on YouTube where he said the vaccines will be here soon.
1: Now, the vaccine news has been particularly uh, heartening that's come out in the last couple weeks. Uh, Since July, uh, we in the state of Florida have been actively planning and preparing for vaccine distribution, including by purchasing necessary supplies. To date, we have purchased 5 million syringes, five million needles, and five million alcohol swabs. Now both Pfizer and Moderna have reported vaccines with 95% effectiveness. Those will hopefully within the next few weeks receive FDA approval. The Pfizer vaccine is one that needs to be stored in negative 70 degree temperatures. The state of Florida has identified uh, five different hospital systems who have the ability to store the vaccine at those temperatures and administer that to the qualifying individuals. The Moderna vaccine can be used in normal refrigeration and does not require uh, those extreme low temperatures, so that will potentially provide more flexibility. Uh, Right now, the best estimate that the federal government has is that by the end of December, pending FDA approval, there will be roughly 40 million doses of these two vaccines available, 25 million for Pfizer and 15 million for Moderna. Each individual requires two doses. So that would mean there'll be enough vaccine for 20 million Americans uh, by the end of December. And the good thing about this is millions of doses are ready to ship as we speak. As soon as the FDA approves, Uh, they will then go out within the next 24 hours and we expect our hospitals hopefully to receive these within the next three to six weeks it's all contingent on when the FDA approves now shortly thereafter or maybe even at the same time that hospitals are receiving the vaccine both CVS and Walgreens will also begin receiving vaccine to administer to residents of long-term care facilities who of course our most vulnerable citizens, when it comes to COVID-19, so far nearly 2,000 long-term care facilities have registered so that they can start getting their residents vaccinated as soon as the vaccine arrives. Now, as we move forward, my administration is going to continue to work hand in hand with our federal partners, and we provide you updates as soon as we have them. In fact, I was just in Washington, D.C., meeting with the Secretary of HHS, the Director of the CDC, to ensure that the state of Florida is fully prepared to distribute the vaccine as quickly and efficiently as possible. Our goal is to make all safe and effective COVID vaccines available to Floridians who want them, but the state will not mandate that Floridians take these vaccines. That's going to be the choice of each and every Floridian. I do, though, believe that these breakthroughs represent Uh, probably the greatest rays of hope that we have seen since the pandemic began. Uh, They offer the prospect of saving thousands and thousands of lives and to potentially bring this pandemic to an end.
0: Under normal circumstances, the governor would have made this announcement at a press conference, not on YouTube. But DeSantis has been playing hide and seek with reporters ever since the election. He's only done a handful of interviews with conservative media outlets and one with the Weather Channel. Why is he hiding? Well, let's just say the Capitol Press Corps in Tallahassee has a lot of questions he would rather not answer right now. We want to ask him about his suggestion that Republican lawmakers in swing states that went for Joe Biden ignore the voters and appoint electors who'll vote for Donald Trump. We'd like him to explain why he hired a sports blogger and conspiracy theorist with no medical background as a COVID data analyst. We'd like to know why he's pursuing a herd immunity strategy that hasn't worked anywhere else. And we'd like to know what happened to that investigation of the failed unemployment compensation system, you know, the one he promised us about six months ago. The American Hospital Association, the American Medical Association, and the American Nurses Association are asking us all to scale back our holiday celebrations to keep the healthcare system from being overwhelmed by another wave of COVID-19. Their letter says, quote, we will get through this pandemic, But the only way out is to follow the science and adhere to the public health steps we know work. The Centers for Disease Control is recommending virtual gatherings with relatives or friends during the holiday or limiting in-person celebrations with social distancing, masks and other precautions. Thanks to the COVID crisis, Florida's tourism industry suffered a 32% drop in visitors during the third quarter compared to the same period last year. Visit Florida, the state's official tourism marketing agency, says we hosted more than 22 million travelers in July, August, and September. That is a 32% decline. May sound awful, but it's a significant improvement over the second quarter, which was down by more than 60%. Visit Florida president Dana Young calls the third quarter numbers encouraging. We may be rid of COVID-19 one day, but telehealth is here to stay. The medical establishment and the state legislature fought the concept for years, saying it simply wasn't as good as being face-to-face with your doctor. But when the pandemic began, Florida Department of Children and Family Secretary Chad Popple says they had to find another way to do their job, and video bridged the gap while protecting people from being exposed to the virus.
3: It's been the hero. Our networks would not have been operating without a massive switch to, to, to tele-everything. We had to switch Everything. To video based, it's something that every it's been out there forever. Uh, folks have kind of dabbled with it, but what COVID did was force this massive switch to delivering through video. And you know, on the on our networks for substance abuse and mental health, I mean, uh, we're talking a third of all the services now being provided are done through video. It helps across the whole spectrum. And there had been this hesitancy: maybe it's not as effective, maybe it's not going to work. And um, you know. Some of that's probably from folks my age uh, that aren't quite as used to it. Um, We're getting nothing but positive reports about its effectiveness and the acceptance of folks maybe a little younger than me that that this is normal. Uh, This is how we interact. Uh, We FaceTime each other all the time. And so early in, you started seeing reports like, hey, this is working. This This is going pretty well. Um, and so we've had a massive shift, particularly in delivery of services there, but even on some of our other, our other program areas, um, particularly in courtrooms and things of that nature, I mean, the system would have stopped moving if we, if we weren't able um, to do things by video. And so we are hoping uh, very much that we're able to keep this going. We don't want to go all the way back to where we were before. So certainly being in, in front of one another is, is positive. But well, we don't have to to do that as much as possible. And it could solve a lot of the inefficiencies and problems we've had in our systems for years if we can just accept this moving forward. So I'm excited about it.
0: The Department of Children and Families was not the only agency to embrace telehealth. Secretary Richard Prudhomme at the Department of Elder Affairs says COVID is a serious threat to their clients. So they had to find another way to provide services without making physical contact, including telehealth and good old-fashioned telephone.
2: Think about the disproportionate impact that this COVID has on older adults. Over 83% of the deaths are for people over the age of 65. So not only do you have the social isolation, you know, the very nature of what we do in our services is, is inconsistent with social distancing guidelines. So how do you continue to provide those critical services yet still respect those social distance guidelines? So we did sort of uh, uh, think outside the box and come up with creative ways to address socialization, but also addressing that, that very real concern of how do I reengage in my community uh, given that I am uh, most at risk of catching COVID. And I think that's something that's, that's critical. So we have done a lot of outreach. Now uh, we've switched our sort of uh, uh, hands-on services to almost 50,000 telephone reassurance calls a month to individuals to check on how they're doing. We are doing more of our stuff through telehealth. You've heard a lot about that. You know, and in our in the long-term care facilities, you know, we have introduced a, a, a something called Project Vital, um, which is virtual in- inclusive technology for all. Where we introduce tablets, which are developed for the use by older adults. And these older adults who are confined to facilities to protect them from COVID are able to use these uh, uh, tablets to not only to video chat with their loved ones on the outside who have not been able to visit until just recently, but to engage in, uh, in, 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 in things that can actually sort of uh, make their residence in these facilities a more pleasant place. Our concern is not just that mental health and social isolation, it's the concern about these individuals being able to re-engage. This virus cannot confine us or define us. You know, we're seeing all these social determinants of health that you've heard about. You know, all of these things where we live, our conditions we live, work and play uh, and exist in our society have been disrupted by this. But I think, you know, as Winston Churchill said, never let a good crisis go to waste. And what he meant was sometimes when you're presented with these lemons, you make lemonade. And we are all uh, thinking outside the box of how to address this pandemic and and the disruption. And we're coming up with some great, Ah, uh, sustainable models that are going to be here uh, as uh, as once the pandemic has gone. but it's it's very, very critical that we continue to uh, work with each other and uh, and you know even though we can't physically uh, uh, to- uh, get with each other, it's very important that we continue that emotional connection through those many phone calls, uh, through those discussions and through technology. And I think communities need to encourage communication companies to actually make connectivity a basic right. I think we all need connectivity moving forward in this new era of telehealth.
0: Burdome and Poppel were speaking during a video conference organized by Politico. The COVID crisis has done a number on Florida's seaports. There are 15 of them. Under normal circumstances, the ports generate nearly 900,000 jobs and contribute almost $120 billion in value to the state economy through cargo and cruise ship activities. But Florida Ports Council CEO Doug Wheeler says the virus has changed things.
4: Florida's ports support nearly 900,000 jobs uh, and, and the maritime activity of our seaports are generating $117 billion to the economy annually. Uh, these jobs and these economic impacts are critical to the state, but also at the local and regional levels as well. Uh, over the past three decades, our seaports have invested billions of dollars to expand the state's uh, capacity on trade and transportation as well as passenger travel. Almost every product that you can think of are coming through our ports, whether it's food, medicine, fuel, the latest iPhone. Uh, I could go on and on, but these products are coming through our ports uh, every day. And of course, besides trade, Florida has the busiest uh, cruise passenger counts in the world. Uh, And although that pandemic has, uh, the COVID 19 pandemic has certainly had a uh, severely, severe impact on that industry this year. You know, the impacts of COVID 19 on our state and our ports, our port communities, have really only highlighted the need for continued strategic investments, uh, investing in port infrastructure that keeps our state and local economies competitive and healthy, and then continues to move commerce safely and efficiently 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 hours, uh, 365 days a year. Unfortunately, uh, this has had a big impact, and, and we recently worked with an international maritime economist to uh, take a look at the impacts uh, of this pandemic on our ports. Uh, Unfortunately, our estimates are showing that uh, nearly 169,000 jobs, uh, port and port related jobs, uh, and almost $23 billion in general economic activity uh, will be lost in the state um, through 2020. Um, So as you can imagine, those those are pretty significant numbers. More specifically, the report uh, showed that this pandemic will likely result in the loss of uh, about five and a half million tons of liquid bulk uh, cargo, uh, about another million and a half tons of, of dry bulk cargos, uh, and approximately two hundred. Uh, I'm sorry, five hundred thousand TEUs or, or, or containers, and and unfortunately, a loss of nearly ten million passenger movements at our cruise ports. So, um, the tremendous loss has had impacts throughout our, our port communities as well. Um, we continue to advocate with our uh, U.S. Senate and, and House of Representative partners uh, to seek that funding that we feel will be so critical to sort of help buoy our, our ports, and our maritime industries associated with our ports. At this time, uh, there's been no federal funding, so we're optimistic that this is something that will uh, change when the new Congress comes together in the new year.
0: Wheeler and the Ports Council have been trying to get a share of federal stimulus funding. They were left out of the CARES Act back in March, and Congress has not been able to agree on additional aid. That's why Wheeler is hoping for better luck next year. Despite her total lack of experience, the U.S. Senate confirms the appointment of a Florida woman as a federal judge. Catherine Kimball Mizell is a 33-year-old native of Lakeland and the youngest person nominated by Donald Trump for a lifetime appointment to the federal bench. The American Bar Association says Mizell is not qualified because she has never tried a criminal or civil case since being admitted to the bar eight years ago. But that did not stop the Senate from confirming her appointment. Her current employer is the most prominent law firm representing Donald Trump and the Republican Party in their efforts to challenge the victory of President-elect Joe Biden. Your calendar of events begins at 8 a.m. when Senator Randolph Bracey, True Health, and Walgreens host an event in Orlando offering free flu shots and COVID-19 testing. Trustees at Florida State University meet online at 8.30. At 9, the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in Atlanta will hear arguments in a battle over whether Florida Blue, the state's largest health insurance company, violated antitrust laws by preventing agents from selling policies for a rival insurance company. The Economic Estimating Conference meets at 9. The Board of Clinical Laboratory Personnel meets by conference call at 9. The Department of Economic Opportunity releases the October unemployment numbers at 10. And the Criminal Justice Conference meets at 1.30 to deal with financial issues relating to Florida's criminal justice system. And finally today, a Florida woman helping clean the beach found a headless and armless body in the sand. Her name is Catherine. She was a volunteer with Ocean Hour. That's a Florida-based nonprofit that organizes beach cleanups. Well, Catherine was collecting trash at Perdido Key near Pensacola when she found the decapitated corpse, someone even called 911 to report the discovery. But it turned out to be a mannequin, the type they put in store windows to show off clothing. It was difficult to tell at first because the body was covered with barnacles and other sea life, but a closer look shows a plastic foot and a hole where the mannequin's head should be. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flag in Tallahassee, and I am out of here for the Thanksgiving holiday. Sunrise returns on December 1st, when we will once again invite you to join us as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.